Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of 1 John, chapter 5. You can find that on page 864 in your pew Bible if you need that, or in the order of worship. I'm having to do that because uh, I'm so new, I do not have a Bible in my office. Uh, (laughs) Starting in verse 6. And Jesus Christ was revealed as God's Son by His baptism in water and by shedding His blood on the cross. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And the Spirit, who is truth, confirms it with His testimony. So we have these three witnesses, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and all three agree. Since we believe human testimony, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God. And God has testified about His Son. All who believe in the Son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. Those who don't believe this are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God has testified about his son. And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have God's son does not have life. This is the word of the Lord. It was years ago, I think at somebody's wedding, Brian, and I can't remember whose it was. It was the first time I heard Brian play the hammer dulcimer and I was just so moved by it and I were you just a moment ago was that not beautiful he was being modest last Sunday evening because uh, the the true vine connect worship was going a little bit long but it was phenomenal and you were going to wrap it up and I was like no because because that dulcimer was sitting up there and uh, he got up and played and uh, Darius who's Ralph Garth's right hand man came up to me and just said that boy's a magician. <laughs> I just love that. I don't know if you can pull rabbits out of hats or whatever, but also wanted to thank a um, former student of mine, Bailey Devers, who is still a <clears throat> student here, but he's helping lead in worship. And uh, Jamie Gibson back there, Jamie, yeah, uh, Jamie Gibson, he wants to do what you do, and I want you two to meet, okay? But raise your hand. He's back there, okay? And you use the word tenacity in your uh, prayer, and I was going to mention that Bailey is one of those brutal students who is tenacious because we would just go head to head. He's a lawyer in the making, and uh, uh, so love having someone like you in. Uh, I don't know what was said, and if it was a lawyer, I don't care. Um, But it's kind of appropriate that you're here and that I'm talking about that because this is a difficult passage If you just read it, it's very difficult to understand, but I'm so glad we're tackling it today. We're, we're again, continuing our series called Hydrate or Dihydrate, Jesus the Living Water, based on passages that John has written, whether in his gospel or 1 John or in the book of Revelation. We finished some passages uh, from his gospels, from his gospel last week, and now we're entering an interesting passage in First John, that's difficult to understand, which is why the worship destination this morning is learned disciples of Jesus are given eternal life. And learned sounds elitist, and, and we don't mean it that way. It's, it's sometimes there are some passages in God's Word that you have to dig a little deeper to understand what it's talking about. I guess you could say informed disciples of Jesus are given eternal life. But this one you have to dig a little bit deeper, but... but you might, as I'm going along in the first part of this, say, does any of this apply to me? Oh, it applies readily. 
and beautifully and wonderfully and let me say eternally so just stay with me here you might want to follow in the outline in in uh, the order of worship or it'll be up on the screen here too but let me give you a little bit of context first of all this is written by John who is often called the beloved disciple and you see with some of his interactions with Jesus that no doubt he was a compassionate man a beloved man but he was also tough he was a fisherman he and James collectively Jesus uh, tagged them as what? Boanerges, which means what? Sons of thunder? He was a courageous man. He was the only disciple to be with Jesus when Jesus was dying on the cross, and he was there with Mary, right? He's a courageous man. If you go to 3 John, the third epistle of John, he calls out a guy in the church to whom he's writing the letter named Diotrephes, who's trying to trying to throw his weight around, trying to abuse power in the church. And bottom line, if, if you, if you uh, translate the, the Koine Greek there rather loosely, it says, I'm going to come confront him eyeball to eyeball and set him straight. So he was a tough guy. He would confront when con confrontation was necessary. And in this passage in 1 John 5, He's confronting a particular heresy that's being spread in the church to whom John is writing the letter. Now, what was this specific heresy? It was a teaching by a guy named Serenthus who was a Gnostic Christian at the time. And bottom line, his teaching was this, was that Jesus was merely a man whose divinity came upon him at the baptism and left him as he was suffering on the cross, but before he died. That was a teaching of this Gnostic sect. And, and so again, the, you know, when the Holy Spirit came down and uh, God the Father said, you are my son in whom I am well pleased, suddenly he was, he was infused with divinity, just at that moment. And then Jesus, when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me on the cross? Suddenly his godness, if you will, left him. His divinity left him. And I guess that can be convenient in some ways to try to explain certain things related to the mystery of the crucifixion and the death of Jesus. It's just wrong. It's just wrong. And John refutes this teaching. And he uses three infallible witnesses to prove that Jesus was God, is God, always will be God, one of the three of the Godhead. And so John does it like this. First of all, he issues forth a testimony. Let's look at that, the testimony, which is, again, Jesus is the Son of God. Let's look at 1 John 5, 5 and 6. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God, not just merely a human. And Jesus Christ was revealed as God's Son by His baptism in water and by shedding His blood on the cross, not by water only, but by water and blood. Now already it's like, okay, where are we going with this? And the Spirit who is truth confirms it with His testimony. Now let me go ahead and give you the punchline to all this. Why is John so concerned that they get this right, that Jesus wasn't uh, divine just at that brief time from the baptism to the crucifixion? What was concerning him about that? Bottom line this, the efficacy of his death depends on his being the Son of God. You know, the very Son of God, the divine Son of God dying on the cross for us is what we needed to be reconciled to God. And no doubt, he is emphatic about that. I like the way the theologian Alistair McGrath put it. He said this, If Jesus, the Son of God, did not bear our sins in his death in the fullness of his person, both his human dimension and his divine 
dimension. That's what he's saying. If Jesus, the Son of God, did not bear our sins in his death in the fullness of his person, then he cannot reconcile us to God. Uh, you know, some even today say, oh, oh, Jesus, the Son of God, couldn't have died. The divine part of him couldn't have died. That would separate him from God the Father. Can I just tell you something? God is God is God is God, and God can do whatever God wants to do. God is in no way restricted by time or space or even death itself. None of that can separate him. If Jesus was merely human when he died, well, he would be an amazing martyr. We've had other martyrs who have died for a cause, but he was the Son of God. And that reconciles us to him and to God the Father and to the Spirit by his death. And, and people, well, what about, you know, when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He stopped being divine then. That's not the case at all. And we've talked about this on Easter mornings sometimes, that what Jesus is doing there when he says that is he's quoting Psalm 22, basically saying, I am the fulfillment of that which was prophesied years and years ago, centuries ago in Psalm 22. But that's a whole other sermon. But he's saying Jesus' death is not efficacious, fancy word. It's saying it really wouldn't have taken effect if he was just a mere human when he died for us. The very Son of God died for us so that we could be reconciled to God the Father. You can go to some familiar passages that, that back this up, and there are a myriad of passages that back it up. You could go to Acts 20, 28, that beautiful passage where uh, uh, Paul is offering a farewell address to the Ephesians with whom he has ministered for up to about three years. He stayed there longer than anywhere. And it was this tearful goodbye speech, bottom line. And toward the very end, he says this, So guard yourselves and God's people, feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood. Whose own blood? God's. Again, this might not seem important, but indeed it is for the sake of our being reconciled to God. Galatians 2.20, we know more of the first part of this verse, but the second part is what I want to focus on here. The first part says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God, divine Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the NLT in the Koine Greek. What that's connoting is he gave up his life for me. Who? The Son of God. And, and applying that to the Godhead, God himself. See, in a mysterious way, the divine Christ died. Oh no, that would separate him from God the Father. No, I'm sorry, but God's not restricted by time, space, or even death. Death could not hold or separate God in any way. But here's the kicker. Death can hold us and separate us. And the divine Son of God took on death for us so that we could be delivered from death and to God the Father. That's why John wants to get this right. It's the most amazing of mysteries. No wonder the first, what was the very first testimony of anybody after Jesus died? <laughs> Immediately after he breathed his last, there was what, a centurion, a Roman Gentile, who said what? Does anybody remember? Surely this man was what? The Son of God. Surely this man was divine. That's the mystery of it, that Jesus in his, his divine sovereignty chose death that you and I might live. It goes back to the hymn that we sang just a moment ago by Charles Wesley, And Can It Be? And, and if it's an unfamiliar hymn to you, I don't know of a better hymn to just read the lyrics to. Just look it up sometime, and can it be? Don't have to sing it. it, it you know, it's not like some huge, catchy 
passionate tune. Well, it can be, I guess. But, but again, look at the words. And especially the, the refrain, which is what amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst, shouldst die for me? And Charles Wesley wrote this right after his conversion experience. That's the testimony that God himself would die for us. So that's the testimony, but who's the witness? Who's the witness who's giving that testimony? Who is testifying? Well, let's talk about that. The witness is God himself. <laughs> uh, those of you who are attorneys in here, and I have deep respect for you. I was just kidding earlier. But you know what it's like to have a credible witness. Well, could there be a better credible witness than God? And <laughs> that's what John is saying here. He is the witness to Jesus being the Son of God. Let's look at the next uh, verses, verses 7 and 8. So we have these three witnesses, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and all three agree. Now that's a curious, curious passage, but what's going on here? God himself is assuring us that Jesus is the object of our faith. Let's break it down. Let's look at, uh, first of all, he talks about uh, yeah, water, blood, and Spirit, right? Some people have referred to it as the triple testimony, right? Let's look at this, the water, first of all. Is talking about God's son at baptism. Yes, when, when God the Father said, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. That attests to Jesus being divine, and not just at that moment, but always having been divine, the divine son of God. Secondly, the blood it's referring to, this is what John is talking about, God's son on the cross. And by the way, you had supernatural occurrences that point to Jesus being divine, even at that point. You have the cur curtain that's torn in two once he breathes his last, you have the darkness during the day. You have uh, the earth shaking in some way, and don't ask me how exactly it happened. But if you go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which many of us went to, those of you who were on the Israel trip with Jeff Leonard remember this, there's one part in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and it's located where Calvary uh, was, where Golgotha was, where Jesus was crucified. You go into one part of that sepulchre, and there, it's called the... Uh, uh, the chapel of Adam, but within the chapel of Adam, they are careful to light up this one little section, and, and that doesn't look like much, but just it highlights a fissure that took place, some kind of cracking of the earth. And by tradition, I'm going to say, by tradition, uh, that's just telling us that there at that point of Golgotha, there was something earth-shaking that happened. Now, if you want to just take that figuratively, that's enough. But again, this is pointing to the fact that something happened while Jesus was there on Golgotha, and it was absolutely earth-shaking. So that was a supernatural occurrence there, too. So let's go back. You have the water, God's Son at baptism. John talks about the blood, God's Son on the cross. And finally, the Holy Spirit himself. God's Son testified to him by the Spirit. And you know, Jesus said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit once I leave, and he will testify to me. That's what he said. He will point to me. Think about that. The Holy Spirit... We were not present at Jesus' actual baptism and death, were we? No, but the Holy Spirit was. And the Holy Spirit is the only person, capital P, active in the world today who was present when Christ was ministering there so long ago. And he is a witness himself, and he's witnessing to all this today. We've talked about the meaning of the word paraclete, one who walks alongside, and he's walking alongside us every day, reminding us, testifying to, yes, he is the Son of God. So that's the triple testimony. Jesus is the Son of God, and, and that this testimony is coming from God himself. That's what John is saying as he wraps up this little section. Look at verse 9, the very next verse. He says, since we believe human testimony, when you have a credible witness, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God himself. 
And God has testified about His Son. If you believe in God, if you trust God, you can trust God's testimony that Jesus Christ, the very divine Son of God, died for us so that we could be reconciled to God the Father and have eternal life. Now, how does this apply to me? We're getting into theological arguments, I know. Uh, I'm reminded just being in class with you, Bailey, so thanks. Uh, But how does this apply to us? Oh, it applies very readily. Uh, It applies marvelously and eternally. So let's get to it. Very briefly, the third point here, the invitation, eternal life. Look at verses 10 and 11. He wraps it up this way. All who believe in the Son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. Those who don't believe this are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God has testified about His Son. And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. That's the greatest gift ever. I would say that most people yearn for eternal life, whether or not they are believers in Jesus. Uh, Years ago, I remember uh, Meg Grant was a well-known journalist on TV, and she was interviewing Candace Bergen, who many of you know is an actress. And right at the end of the interview, I remember her saying, "Uh, Candace, give me your three wishes. And Candace quickly said, you mean besides eternal life? And I remember her saying that, and I thought, yeah, people really want that, yearn for that. That could be really number one in many ways, but people are intrigued by it and are wondering if they can experience eternal life. Um, the vast majority of people, I think, wish for that. Did any of y'all see a movie that came out in 2010? And it was a movie with Matt Damon. It's called Hereafter. Did anybody see that? I, I thought it was going to be great because Matt Damon was in it, and it was kind of lousy. But I went because it said Hereafter. I thought, oh, I'm a preacher. I could get some good uh, illustrative material. And I didn't because it was a terrible movie. But... There, there was one, one little scene, though, and it was fascinating to me because I was sitting there, and people were starting to just rustle, and you could tell people were bored, and uh, uh, people were just munching on their popcorn, and you could hear that. You could pe- hear people sipping their sodas, and people starting to whisper and everything. Then there's one part where a woman comes and, and, in a very pointed way, asks Matt Damon, who supposedly can speak to people on the other side of reality, you know, after you die, and she asks him, what's it like? And, and Matt Damon starts to describe it kind of slowly and kind of ambiguously, but it was fascinating to me. When that exchange started, people got quiet. <laughs> you could have heard a pin drop, and, and you didn't hear the rustling of, of, of people or popcorn or anything else. And, and, it, and it reminded me, pe- pe- people want to know. They want to know what's beyond this part of reality, and is there something? And indeed, we can count on it because God himself has testified to that. Again, it's really up to you to decide whether or not you're going to buy into that testimony from God himself. But God testifies that those who express faith in Jesus Christ, the divine Son of God, will receive it as a free gift. Nothing you deserve, but that's the witness of God. I can't help, my friends, think about uh, the testimony of the Spirit through our friend Brian Bonds, who we're going to celebrate tonight and tomorrow. I remember, I think it was when we went over to worship at True Vine Church in England, is when we dedicated the church over there. And you've heard me say this before, and I don't know why it just tickled me, because Brian is Brian, and it's not like you need formalities or anything, and he doesn't have to do everything in a very refined fashion. And I remember somebody wheeled him up there, and it was, it was a real quiet, you know, again, it's kind of like you could have heard a pin drop. And he started by saying, you know, I'm going to see Jesus before most any of you in this room. Eat that. Okay. And also with you, you know. 
Well, Brian, as you know, passed on. He moved on this last Thursday. And let me say, it was, it was, it was wonderfully peaceful. Family was there. Uh, his brother Glenn and I were reading scripture and uh, singing hymns. And, and he moved on peacefully. And I remember w- when you witness something like that and you realize it's such a sweet release because he's not there anymore. He's not there anymore. Paul talks about, as you know, being absent from the body, present with the Lord. And that's the way it was. And it was a, it was a beautiful moment. Sad, but enormously beautiful as well. It reminded me of when I heard Jill Briscoe talk about a friend of hers, a good Christian friend, whose husband died. And they were at the visitation, and there was a long line there, and, and Jill was standing close to this woman whose husband had died. And it was in a part of the, part of the U.S. where a lot of people like to do uh, open casket. And so there was open casket there, and, um, and the, the, the wife of the deceased was kind of a little bit away from where the body was, and then her sister-in-law was, was there with her, offering support and kind of guiding people through the line. And, and, but something started to irritate uh, the wife of the deceased a little bit because the, the, the sister-in-law kept, kept greeting people, hey, thank you for coming, uh, there he is. Hey, thank you for coming, uh, there he is. You know, like you go over there and see him and everything. And, and uh, thank you, thank you for coming, there he is. And finally, very lovingly, uh, the wife of the man who had passed on took took her sister-in-law aside and very lovingly said, hey, you're saying it wrong, and, and, and you know, I would be miserable if that really was the case. Uh, what's getting me through today and will continue to get me through is that that's not him. When they come through, if anything, just say, there he isn't, <laughs> because it's not him. He's not there. He is passed on, absent from the body, present with the Lord, and a means by which we can celebrate. And that's the truth. You know, God has put his very name on the line to testify to this, to be the very witness to eternal life, which you and I look forward to. We can all experience foretastes of heaven, whether looking at an amazing sunset like some of you guys did in South Africa. Do they get in any prettier than that? Did any of y'all see them? They're just amazing. Uh, Signal, Signal Hill, did y'all go there? Just incredible or you're on a mountaintop, uh, or you see a child born, or, or whatever it might be. Someone tells you they love you, and you're just, you're just on a cloud, and you, you experience a foretaste of heaven. But what's amazing is, once you and I get to eternity, it's not going to end. And now I want you to think about that. That's, you have mountaintop experiences, and you always come down, but then that's going to be eternal. And I love the way the great theologian J.I. Packer put it. He said this, hearts on earth say in the course of a joyful experience, mountaintop experience, I don't want this ever to end, but invariably it does. The hearts in heaven say, I want this to go on forever. And it will. Think about that. There can be no better news than this. And my brothers and sisters, we will, we will experience that one day. And God himself has testified to that. He's the witness himself. It's what he has promised, so thanks be to God. Let's pray together. We thank you, O God, for people like John who would set things straight, not just in terms of of proper doctrine, but, but really exalting God for the good news of eternal life. We thank you that we can anticipate that and look forward to that and anticipate a glad reunion, not just with Brian, but with so many others whom we know, whom we have lost temporarily, 
And yet one day we will be reunited. And what an incredible gift that is. And again, help us to trust you that you mm, might just be a rather credible witness to all this. Help us to trust your quite credible testimony to it. So we celebrate Brian's life, the life of so many who were mentors and, and examples to us, whom we will meet again. Lord, we do pray at this moment that if there happens to be someone in here who has never taken that step of faith, who has never really said, I'm going to trust God's very testimony, trust Him as a witness to eternal life, pray that that person would, would be moved to do that this day, that perhaps your spirit is speaking to him or her right now, and they feel led to make a profession of faith, to give their lives to Christ, or to give their lives to Christ anew, in a new way. Lord, be with us during this time as we sing, and if we, any of us feel led to make some type of public, uh, public move, whether it be to move our, our, the church membership here, uh, make the move to make a profession of faith in Jesus, or to be baptized, whatever it might be, as I stand at the front, we pray that that person would be moved to do just that. We pray these things in your name. Amen.